let's return to Galatians 5. Uh, we are right in the middle of our journey through the fruit of the Spirit, looking at all of the virtues of the fruit of the Spirit that are all unified together. And I want to continue while you're turning and finding your place. I want to continue to remind you that when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we're talking about a singular fruit with multiple virtues. The fruit of the Spirit is not a buffet, okay? It's not a smorgasbord that we get to go and we get to pick the ones that we like that are easy for us and, the, and, and not take the ones that are difficult for us. Um, we don't pick and choose. They should all be present if the Holy Spirit is present. If the Holy Spirit is present in our life, then all of these virtues of the fruit of the Spirit should be showing up and being demonstrated in our lives. So we've talked about love, the ultimate virtue that holds all of them together. We will see love um, thread through every single one of the other virtues. We've talked about joy, and last week we talked about peace. So let's look again together as we do every week. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Maybe you're coming close to having these memorized. If not, you've got plenty of other chances. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, I'm sure that at the beginning of the series, when we read these verses for the very first time, you may have had a unique reaction to the word patience. You may have had a reaction to the word patience that you don't really have to the rest of those, um, and I think it's because um, your mind, when you saw the word patience, even this morning, your mind probably goes to one of two places. One, you either think about your own lack of patience and your own struggle with it. And so in that, you're probably not very fired up for me to talk about it. Or the other direction you may have gone is you immediately thought of someone else who has a lack of patience. And in that case, you're really excited for me to talk about it. <laughs> it could even be the person you're sitting next to. You're either fully aware of the fact that you have a lack and a struggle with patience and you don't really want to hear too much about it or you're really excited because you think the person sitting next to you or across the room from you has a, a, a major lack of patience and you're really excited because you want them to hear whatever we're going to talk about this morning. Um, but I think... That is, of, of all of these virtues, this may be one, maybe the one that is the hardest for us to understand and grab hold of. Um, and I think it's a supply and demand issue. I think when it comes to patience, the, the issue that we have is supply and demand. The demand for patience is high when the supply of patience tends to be really low, right? So um, as we come to this virtue in the list, um, as we've done with the others, we're gonna do three things and I'm gonna tell you up front how we're gonna break down talking about patience this morning and, the understand, and how I hopefully we will get to the understanding that God wants us to get to this morning. But there's, there's three steps we're gonna walk through, okay? First, we're gonna look at patience defined. We're gonna define 
what the biblical word, what, what the biblical principle in this verse is, what is patience? What does it really mean in the text? Not what do we think it means, but what does it really mean? Number two, we're gonna look at patience received. How does patience fit into the character of God, first of all, and then how can we see that patience, it have, how we have received patience from God, okay? How it's something that we've been a recipient of patience. That's first. And then because of that, we will then look at how are we giving patience. If we've, if we've received patience from the Lord, then obviously it's his goal for us to be giving patience because the fruit of the Spirit is about production. It's about producing good works, so that's the, that's the task we're going to go through. So um, first, let's talk about what, what is patience? What kind of patience are we talking about here? So um, I, I, I was very tempted to give you um, a, a Greek word study here at this point, but I just, for the sake of time, I decided not to. Um, but there's a couple of different kinds of things that we think about when we think about patience. We think about patience in circumstances, Right? And then we think about patience when it comes to people. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, specifically, when you do a word study of this word patience, what you'll find is that the patience that is, that is related to the fruit of the Spirit has everything to do with people. It's a patience that has to do with people more than circumstances. There's another word in the Greek language for patience that has to do with circumstances. But this word deals with the way we deal with other people when we are wronged. And I'm gonna give you a practical definition here, okay? I've got lots of notes and lots of scripture references. Anna is gonna be busy this morning. But a practical definition, if, if you wanna break down, well, what does that word mean? Give me, the, give me the, the heartbeat of the definition. Here it is. Practical definition of patience. The unique ability to endure people who anger, hurt, irritate, and annoy us the most. This is the fruit of patience. This is what we are talking about, the, the unique ability to be able to endure, and that word endurance is very important. There's an image when you study, um, study this word, it's, it's almost the image of a, of a long fuse, a really, really long fuse, not a short one. Um, there's, uh, there's a Rich Mullins song lyric in the song "Promise," uh, in the song uh, "Brother's Keeper," one of my one of my favorite Rich Mullins songs, and I quote this lyric to myself quite often because I need to. My friends ain't the way I wish they were; they are just the way they are. And don't you don't you experience that? Lots, my friends, my coworkers, my family, they're not the way I wish they were, they're just the way they are. So what do I do about that? And the, the answer is patience. So patience is that ability to endure with people, okay? So let's go on to patience received, number two already. We're gonna spend some time with received, but I don't want us to spend too much time there because I want us to get to the third one about how we give patience. But how do we see patience by that definition? How do we see that in the character of God? 
And how can we see this definition working itself out in the character of God in the way he deals with us? Psalm 86 verse 15 says, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Slow to anger is a great synonym. It's a great phrase to describe what the word patience means in Galatians 5. In Psalm 86, this is a psalm of David. And David was writing this psalm and he was contrasting the arrogance and the aggression of his enemies who were coming against him. They were mad at him. They were pursuing him, coming against him, trying to harm him. And he was contrasting the way they were relating and dealing with him with the way God has dealt with him. And he says, but God, in, in light of what, how men are treating me, you are treating me with a gracious patience. So, because by default, we are not patient with each other, are we? If we are left to our own humanness, our own flesh, we, we don't have much of a propensity for being patient with other people. In our flesh, when we operate in the flesh, our fuses are very, very short. And we erupt in anger. We erupt in even revenge, the desire to want to get back at somebody because of the harm they've done to us. And sometimes we erupt in these short fuse moments of anger. Sometimes we do it in our, in our homes with our spouse, don't we? It could, it could just be the smallest thing. But we allow things to build up and build up and then the smallest misspoken word or the smallest unintentional deed can light our short fuse and create an explosion. It happens with our spouses. It happens with our children. It happens with our coworkers. And it also happens within our church family if we are not walking in the spirit. And whenever there's dynamite and whenever there's an explosion, there's always destruction that goes along with it. And whenever we allow that short fuse to be lit and explode very quickly, we're causing damage in our marriage, in our families, and in our church. But the example we see here in Psalm 86 is that this is not true of God. God does not have a short fuse. God has an extremely long fuse. He endures our sin and he endures our offenses. And the psalmist David says that, God, you are slow to anger. This is also the testimony of Paul in his first letter to Timothy. If we go over to 1 Timothy chapter 1, let me read to you verses 13 through 16. Paul writes and says, even though... I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, but I received what? Mercy, because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, this is important, so that in me, the worst of them, 
Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary, what? Patience. As an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. So in all these verses, Paul is saying, in exchange for my arrogance, in exchange for my blasphemy, in the persecution that I brought on his church, God's response to me was mercy. God's response to my arrogance and my sin was patience. And not just patience, but he says extraordinary patience. And this is the patience that God extends to sinners. The ones who come against him. The ones who are offensive to him. He responds in extraordinary patience. Without the example of God's patience in the lives of his church, the world will perceive that God is a cruel and vindictive God rather than an extraordinarily patient and kind God. Look at what Paul is saying in verse 16. He said, I received mercy for this reason. What reason? Just so that Paul could enjoy it? Just so that Paul could experience the benefits of the patience and the mercy of God? No, so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him in eternal life. It's a witness to the world. God extends his patience to me, not just for me to bask in it, but for it to be an example to the lost world. So the only way the patience of God is gonna be demonstrated in my life enough to be an example to the lost world is if it somehow comes out of me into the lives of other people through my patience for them. So this is really, really important. Romans chapter two, verses four and five says, or do you despise the riches of his kindness Restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. So there's another important thing that we need to note that's in this passage in Romans 2. Again, we see the character of God in these three things in verse 4. The riches of his kindness, and we'll talk about kindness again later. Restraint and patience. Restraint and patience are very closely tied together in this description of God. Restraint, that word restraint means a tolerance or a holding back. If you can imagine restraint as being like the dam that's holding back the water. This is, this is a part of the character of God. That, that restraint is the act of God that is motivated by the patience which is the character of God. Do you, do you see that? Because God is patient, he demonstrates restraint with me. Rather than pouring out his judgment and wrath on my sin the way I fully deserve, because he is patient with me, he shows restraint and he holds back his judgment with a long suffering. 
were it not for the patient nature of God, his wrath over me and my sin would be poured out on me in the very moment that I deserved it. Think about this for a minute. It, without the patience of God, the fullness of God's judgment and wrath over my sin and your sin would instantly be poured out on us in the very moment that we deserved it. Just contemplate for a minute what that would be like. The unrestrained judgment of God on sin. You say, well, what holds that back? His patience. His kindness. That's what holds back the judgment of God. So, so far... I hope that you are making a connection between the patience of God and the judgment of God. Because we need, to, we need to make a connection there. Because some people would make the mistake that God is bluffing. Right? Some people are living their lives right now, day to day, believing that God is bluffing. When we talk about the judgment of God, because in this passage, in Romans 2, he says, because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. Scripture says there is a day when the restraints will be taken away. And the dam will break and all of God's judgment over sin will be unleashed. But right now we live in the age and the time of God's great patience. And so people believe that since it's been so long and God, we haven't seen this kind of judgment from God, he's just bluffing. Or they, they focus so much on the love of God and the patience and the grace of God that is very much real, but forget the judgment of God. And they live in blissful ignorance of his judgment. Go over to 2 Peter chapter 3. <coughs> Second Peter 3, he specifically talks about this. Let's start with verse three and four. Above all, Peter writes, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, doing what they want, saying, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. This is the prevailing attitude of the lost world. Basically, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus has been around and nothing's happened yet. He's bluffing. God's not really gonna do anything. If God was gonna do something about judgment over sin, he would have already done it. And because he hasn't, Jesus coming back? Well, that hasn't happened yet. We've been waiting around 2,000 years for that. 
Where is it? Peter says in, in the last days, people will, will have this attitude. If it hasn't happened yet, it's probably not going to. So what do we have to worry about? It's the same lie, if we think about it, this attitude is the same lie of Satan that he convinced Adam and Eve of in the garden. God has said this, but is he really going to do that? Is that really what's going to happen? God said, if you eat the fruit of the tree, you'll surely die. But yeah, is, is that really what's going to happen? You're really not going to die. And that's what Satan, the enemy, is telling the lost world around us. All this stuff about Jesus coming back and God judging sin, you're not going to die. You can eat the fruit all you want to. You're not going to die. So yes, it's been a while since Jesus left. It's been, it's been a while. The, the promise hasn't been fulfilled yet. Skip down in that chapter. Skip down to verse 9. Look at what Peter says in response to this attitude. The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is what? Patient with you. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Now that sounds fierce. Verse 10 is the dam breaking. Verse 10 is the restraint of God going away. But right now, we're in verse nine. God isn't delaying his promise. He's not procrastinating like we do. He's not saying, well, I'll just put it off later. I'll do it later. I'll get down there when I get down there. It's purposeful because he is, he is driven to continue to offer grace because he is patient with us. And why is he patient? Because he doesn't want anybody to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance in a relationship with him. So it's for the lost world's benefit. It's for his patience for them, his long suffering with them that he chooses not to come. Here's a point that, we, that, that you can write in your notes that, that I wanted to make as a point so that we don't forget it. The Lord is patient. He is not passive. There's a big difference. The world may have convinced themselves that God is passive. For God to be passive means that he allows it and does nothing about it. And that's not true of God. The reason we have not seen the judgment of God is not because of his passiveness, it's because of his patience, his long suffering. And his long suffering, again, is wrapped up in that first fruit of the Spirit, that agape love, that great love of God. 
But there will come a day, Peter says, that the patience of God will be taken away and the judgment of God will be put in its place. So that we know this is real now. We know what patience is and we know why we know that why God has extended his patience. We see it, not just what it is, but we see it demonstrated in God. We see it demonstrated in, in the way he deals with us. So now let's talk about patience given. Now we have to evaluate if we've been recipients of God's great patience. And the Holy Spirit lives in us and patience is a part of the fruit of the Spirit, then how is patience being given? We have received it as children of God. Amen? If you are a believer, if you are, if you are saved by the blood of Jesus, you are a recipient of the patience of God. Not just once, but over and over and over. How is that coming out of our life? How are we giving the patience that we have received? And so I've got another list for you for this, for this third part. And I wanted, I, I wanted to think of very practical ways. And these are just four. If, if, <coughs> if Paul says that we are to be examples, that God demonstrated patience with us as an example to those who would believe in the gospel, then we have to evaluate what sort of example of God's patience are we setting. Because the visible manifestation of the patience of God will most greatly be demonstrated to the lost world through us, through you and me. How are we exhibiting patience with each other, within the body of Christ? How are we exhibiting patience to the world? And so, based on these scriptures... These are the ways that we can be the best examples. Or these are the, these, this is a list, okay? So here's number one. We're the best examples of God's patience when the pain we cause is, typo, is greater than the pain we suffer. When the pain we cause is greater than the pain we suffer. What are you talking about, Eric? What I mean is, when I hurt more over the pain that I bring into other people's lives than I hurt for the pain that they bring into mine. That verse in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, it's that sentiment when Paul says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them. For me to really demonstrate patience, I have to hurt more over my own sin than other people's. I can't spend my time focusing on your sin more than mine. I can't spend all of my time thinking about how you've hurt me and how you've annoyed me and how you've done all these things to me if, if your sin is greater to me than my sin, 
then I'm completely missing it. My sin has to be greater than yours. And I have to see it that way. And when I see my sin as greater, then it's easier for me to demonstrate patience with you because I see the great patience that that God has to demonstrate to me because of my great, great sin. I think it was Martin Luther. If your sin is great, then your Savior will be great. But if your sin is small, your Savior will be small. Here's number two. We're the best examples of patience when we don't withhold forgiveness for condition. We don't trade forgiveness for conditions. Excuse me. Colossians chapter 3, 12 through 13. It says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and there it is, patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, how? Just as the Lord has forgiven you so that you also, you are also to forgive. Just as in our relationship with God, there is a direct connection between patience and forgiveness. The patience of God extends the forgiveness of God to us. Patience is what powers our forgiveness. You say, Eric, how, it, it's hard for me to forgive people. If it's hard for me to forgive somebody, it's because there's a misunderstanding or or, or an underdevelopment of patience in my life. Because patience is the thing that helps us forgive people. Right? Patience is what creates, it's why God is so forgiving of us because of the nature of patience. If If I can develop the fruit of patience in my life through the Holy Spirit, not on my own power, then it's going to be easier for me to forgive. Peter asked the question. In Matthew chapter 18, we're very familiar with it. Chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you not, As many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. And by the way, verse 22 does not mean that we count to 490 and stop. Jesus was making a point. How much patience am I supposed to have with people? as much as God has with you? And how much does God have with you? Colossians 3 says, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you are also to forgive. And how does God forgive me? Over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Thank God he does not count. I would have run out of chances 
a long, long time ago. And he forgives me that way over and over and over and over because he is patient. And if the spirit is in me, the same patience that God demonstrates with me, scripture says is right here. It's there. I lie. And I call the word of God a liar when I say I can't do it. We can't trade forgiveness for condition. Because that's that we say, well, as long as they ask. Or as long as they change. Or as long as they do this or do that, then, then I'll forgive them. God doesn't put conditions on his forgiveness. He just forgives. Here's the third one. We're a great example of patience to the world when we hold unity above our need to be right. This is another, I think, practical application for patience. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3 says, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So in Ephesians 4, we see Paul directly connecting patience to unity. Unity is not the absence of disagreement. I think we believe that so often, that for there to be unity... That means everybody has to think the same thing all the time. But that's not true. Unity is the presence of patience in the midst of disagreement. Unity is when we're able to disagree, not see things the same way, yet both parties still demonstrating great patience with each other in maintaining unity, even in the midst of disagreement. The context of Ephesians 4 is within the body of Christ, within the church. So Paul is talking about how we relate to one another, keeping the unity of the Spirit through the, through the bond of peace in the midst of disagreement. We've all seen it. We've seen disagreements between people destroy the unity of the body of Christ. Now, let me say this. Sometimes disagreement requires division. It depends on what we're disagreeing about. There are some cases where we need to separate ourselves from someone because the disagreement theologically or, or practically may be so off base from where we are and where we feel like God's word's directing us that we, that we need to separate ourselves, okay? So I'm not saying 
that all division is wrong. As I've said before, sometimes there's denominational division between churches for the sake of unity. Because if we all, with our different opinions and practices, all got together and we're trying to worship and serve God all at the same time, we would be so wrapped up in our differences, nothing would ever get done. So division is, is an asset in some cases. But sometimes the division that, that Paul is talking about here is when I'm right and I know I'm right and you're right and you know you're right, but we disagree with each other. <laughs> what do we do then? What do we do when I'm right and I know it? There's no doubt about it. There's no question that I am correct. I can show you how I'm correct. I know exactly what I'm talking about and you do the same thing. What do we do then? Then we do what it says here. We bear with one another in love. Sometimes bearing with one another means that I bear with you in your incorrectness. <laughs> right? So if I'm convinced I'm right and you're convinced you're right and I bear with you because I know you're not correct and you bear with me because you know I'm not correct, there's still unity. We can still, we don't have to, we don't have to land on the same, we don't have to agree but if we're both bearing with one another, we can still be unified as brothers and sisters. When relationship means more than rightness. That my, I choose to not stand on the platform of my correctness because my relationship with you means more to me than whether I'm right or not. That's what this is talking about. And the flip side of that is this, that in humility and gentleness with patience, every once in a while you may figure out that you were wrong. Now, I know that sounds far-fetched. But you may figure out from time to time that you actually were incorrect and the person that you disagree with, that you have been bearing patiently with, they turned out to be right, and you turned out to be wrong. What's our response then? Humility. Own it. When you're wrong, own it. So here's number four. And this one, this one may seem different, but I think this one's really, really important. We're the best examples of God's patience when we don't abuse the patience of others. When we don't abuse the patience of others. Second Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. 
Peter tells us in this verse that God extends his patience to us for a purpose. And that purpose is for us to repent in our wrongness, repent of our sin. So when, when I continue to take advantage of your patience with me, when I act wrongfully, when I sin against you, when I offend you, when I annoy you, when I do all of these things to you and I'm aware of it, but yet I continue to do it, you are extending patience to me over and over and over, yet I continue to be an affront to your patience because the thing that you're being patient with me, I'm not learning how to correct in myself. I just continue to do it over and over and over. I dishonor the patience of God by dishonoring the patience that you are extending to me. Do you see that? When we let patience be the excuse for our continued wrong behavior. When others are patient with me, I must repent of the pain that I cause them and seek to correct it. When people are patient with you, do you continue to just draw from the well of their patience over and over selfishly because you just want to keep doing what you're doing and you're trusting that people are going to keep being patient with you? When you do that, you're abusing and dishonoring the patience that God has put in them through the Spirit because you're taking advantage of it. And if I abuse your patience for so long, what's going to happen? It's going to run out. Because even a long fuse has an explosion at the end of it. Even a really long fuse has destruction at the end of it. And if I continue to take advantage of someone's patience over and over and over and not seek to correct my behavior and not seek to correct my relationship with them and I just draw from their patience over and over and over, the fuse will continue to get shorter and shorter until it explodes and I will have broken that relationship because I've dishonored their patience. Because let's face it, even God says there will be an end to his fuse. So we are foolish. I am foolish to think I can continue to abuse you and hurt you and even annoy you without there being consequences at some point. Because everybody's fuse will run out at some juncture. So here's, here's the wrap up. The lost world will never recognize the patience of God for them until they see it demonstrated in you and me. You say, Eric, why is patience such a big deal? It's how the world sees the gospel. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, is my lack of patience causing somebody to miss the gospel of Jesus? Is my inability to demonstrate patience, long-suffering with my brothers and sisters in Christ and long-suffering with people in the world, am I causing people to miss the gospel?
because I can't demonstrate patience. Also, is my lack of patience a sign that I have misunderstood the gospel? I'm convinced in those moments when I refuse to exhibit patience, I forget the gospel. So evaluate for yourself. Is, if we really understand the gospel on a deep level, then patience is going to be easier for us. Because the gospel is, is the demonstration of God's patience for us, right? So if I understand the gospel, I will understand patience better. If I have no understanding and no ability to demonstrate patience, it may be that I've misunderstood the gospel. Or maybe my inability and lack of patience is a sign that I need a savior. It's a sign that the spirit doesn't live in me because it's just impossible for me to demonstrate. And I'll, and I'll tell you this, if that is the case, if you're without the spirit, if you're without a relationship this morning, the good news is that the God that offers salvation to you is a patient God. And he has been patient with you. But know that there is a day that his patience will come to an end. What will you do with his patience?